Amen. You can be seated this morning. Good morning, EVC. All right, you can do a little bit better than that. Good morning, EVC. There you go. That's a little bit better. I was going to say the eight thirty service was better than you guys, and all of a sudden I couldn't couldn't do that. I know some of you are really surprised that we're here. We're not in the forty first inning of yesterday's game. Thank you, Josh Hamilton. I know you guys are excited about that. But man, that that song that we just sang, "All I Have Is Christ." If all you had was Christ, would He be enough? Now we say that, we think that, but I want us to look at this morning and see if we really, truly believe that. We are finishing up our series today called One. And the title of this message is, What If You Are The One? Because you know what we've had over these last several weeks as we talked about marriage a lot and marriage relationships we've attempted um, as we preach these, these messages, to be focused on what, what a lady's role, what a man's role is within a relationship, that it doesn't just um, affect or just doesn't uh, relate to just married folks, but it relates to single folks as well. But our single folks have put up with this series, all right, amen? And today, I want to speak specifically to our singles. Now, don't check out on me, some of you who are married, and you're going, oh, okay, it's going to be a message towards singles. No. Everything we talk about today is applicable to anyone married as well. But I am so thankful for the singles who call EVC home. Because as I thought about this week, and as I was getting prepared for this mentally, and, and just thinking about who I would be really speaking to, and I thought about the singles at EVC, do you realize this place would not run very effectively if it weren't for singles who give and contribute and do everything, so many of them, to serve in so many areas? Let's give our singles at EVC, let's give them a hand this morning. And we want to focus this message on them. You've got some great company, by the way. Did you know that? Here's a shock. Jesus was single. Did you guys know that? Jesus was single. Paul... Many believe that Paul was married because he was a rabbi, so therefore that uh, general thought for many scholars is that Paul, may, maybe his wife deserted him when he became a Christian, or maybe she had died. We're just not sure. But what we know is, in a passage that we're going to look at today, that Paul was a single man, whether by abandonment or by being widowed or by never being married at all. We know that Paul was a single man. I found out that one of my favorite theologians this week, I found out he was single. I had not known that. His name is John Stott. He is an Anglican uh, in England. I believe he died actually last year. But John Stott, somebody I've read for years, I had no idea, was single into his 70s. We see all kinds of folks who are God used. Jeremiah also was single. C.S. Lewis was single most of his life married towards the end of his life, and then was widowed just after a couple of years of marriage. So C.S. Lewis, also a great theologian and writer in Christianity today, was also single. So as we look at these great theologians and great uh, people within Scripture, we see singleness was important. In 1950, 22% of the American adult population was single. And by 2010, over 50% of the American adult population is single. And so I want to speak specifically to singles, but I want us to all focus in on this this morning because last time I checked, do you guys realize that when every single one of you, every person that's breathing and actually listening right now, even if you aren't listening right now, did you know that you were born single? Okay. 
you did not come out of the womb married. I know that shocks many of you. Some of you, some of you husbands I've heard speak over the last several days, and you feel like you've been married your whole life. That's not true. You were born single. Now, here's kind of a sad part of that to a certain degree. And that is over 50% of the people that I'm speaking to right now and over 50% of those who are married will be single again. I've realized that over the last several years as I've dealt and worked and encouraged my father. After 53 years of marriage, he was single again. And I wrote him a letter one day as he was struggling with his own loneliness and struggling through that in these last three years of his life. And I said, Dad, there is a There is a message. Some of you are going, I can't believe you wrote your dad this, but I did. There's a message in a movie that was one of my favorites called Shawshank Redemption. And I said, Dad, it says, we either get busy living or we get busy dying. And I said, Dad, God has called you for a unique purpose. I don't know what that is, but he's left you here for a reason. Find what it is and get busy doing it. And he took that call and he... Uh, embraced prayer for his grandchildren and great-grandchildren and future generations. And for a good solid year, that kept his full attention as praying for all of us. And so I really want to speak to our singles today, but also to those of us who are married. Because our singles have endured this series and they've put up with us. And I want to share with them God's view of singleness as we present it in Scripture But again, it also relates to us. Do we also realize there's no marriage in heaven? I want you to just take a look. This is not going to be on the screen. Matthew 22, Jesus said this. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong because you neither know the Scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. As I talked with the With one of our staff this week, we were talking about this and even say, man, I wish there was marriage in heaven. And I said, well, you could go be a Mormon because for Mormons, there is marriage in heaven. But Jesus makes it very clear in Christian theology, there is no marriage in heaven. So for our singles, you're just getting a quick start on heaven today. That's what you're doing. But here's the truth. Some of us who are single in the room today, some of you are called to be single for a season of your life. Others of you are called to singleness for the rest of your life. Some of you who are teenagers in the room, you are called perhaps just to be single for a time period. Some of you have been married and are divorced, and so you're single again. Some of you have been widowed, and so singleness has come to you, just like I was talking about my father. And so you maybe have lived many years in marriage, and now you're single again. But there is no marriage in heaven. Marriage is a temporary institution doesn't mean that we won't know each other in heaven i fully believe that in heaven we will know and we will know people that we had relationships with but here's the real issue the issue is the focus of heaven is not on our earthly relationships but it's on jesus christ himself so there's no marriage in heaven so our singles are getting an early start on what heaven is going to be like but today i want to speak to that but every point we make today is relevant to married folks as well as to singles. So don't check out on me with this. But I remember what it was like. I remember my freshman year in college and reading this passage of Scripture. Again, this is not on the screen, but it's Matthew chapter 19. What does Jesus say about marriage? 
What does he say about it? He said the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man and his wife, and Jesus had just been talking about marriage and divorce, and he said, if such is the case of a man and his wife, is it better not to marry? But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only to whom those it is given. And then he says this, and this made me uncomfortable as a college freshman in my dorm room as I read this that one night, having already surrendered my life to ministry. And I was asking the question, God, do, have you called me also to singleness? But he says, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. In other words, there are people who have not been able to procreate since birth, maybe from a birth defect or whatever. But there are those who have not been able to, to procreate from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Okay, what this was, okay, let's be uncomfortable for a little bit, and then that's all we're going to say. This was castration done by kings and queens, okay? How many of you would like to to serve in a king's court today, okay? Because often they would castrate the servants so that they, again, would not procreate and mess up the line of that king or queen. So there were eunuchs who would be that in service. The Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts, as Philip preached to him, as he was on a chariot ride back to Ethiopia, and Philip was there and preached to him, and he was baptized. He was an Ethiopian eunuch, an Ethiopian who uh, was in the service of a king or queen in Ethiopia. And then Jesus says, and there are eunuchs who who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this Receive it. In the early church, there was a group of ascetic monks who would actually castrate themselves in obedience to this particular passage. This is not what Jesus is is talking about. Okay, let me repeat. This is not what Jesus is saying. Just as Jesus had earlier said as he was talking about lust, he said, if your eye offends thee, pluck it out. Or if your right hand offends thee, Cut it off. Jesus is not saying literally to do that, but he's bringing to attention this issue. And Jesus is saying here, there are some who will remain single for a lifetime for the service of me. And if you can receive this, receive this. But this is a calling by God. And some of you are single today, and you're not going to be single for the rest of your life. But some of you, that may be the calling. And everything we say today about this topic what if you are the one is also applicable to married folks today and the first thing i want to say is this know who you are in christ as i read that passage in matthew 19 and i was thinking about that in that college dorm room i was wondering to myself god have you called me to this issue to this calling of singleness and i didn't know I went through three years of college. I went through a long extended relationship that ended. And I was very heartbroken as a result of that. I moved to Texas and went to seminary. I was in five weddings in one summer of all of my friends who got married. And I went two and a half years after that before God ever led me to my wife, Jennifer. I was literally believing that God may have called me to singleness. And I struggled with that. Many of you know that I love people. I know that's a shock to many of you. And I love being around people. Some people saw uh, me playing backwards ball and leading that uh, little game the other day. And someone told Jennifer, you know, Randy's just, he's going to be so tired. She goes, oh, no, don't worry about him. Because the more activity he is involved with, the more people that are around, he will go on all night long. When he gets home, he'll be bouncing off the walls because people give him energy. But when I thought about this 
issue or this opportunity of me being called to singleness. I struggled with that. I'd grown up in a great Christian family. I knew that I wanted a Christian family. I had written papers about ministry uh, with families in college because I believed that the calling of a pastor to his family is greater than the calling to the church. And so I'd already written about this. I was longing for that. But all my friends were getting married, and I, I wasn't dating anybody. I, had a, uh, I actually wrote an article for our church bulletin newsletter at the time. It went out about every two weeks, and I wrote this letter about, I was in this young church, just had young families. There was nobody there my age. I mean, there was nobody under, uh, under 25 or under 30, even in the whole church. And as I thought about that, I wrote this little this message to the church. It said, I so love seeing all the young families and, and praying and hoping for, for my family someday. And I had one of my Sunday school teachers that called me that week and said, that was the saddest article I have ever read in my entire life. I have got to set you up with somebody. And I was like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to be set up. I don't, I've never been on a blind date. She goes, well, just, I want you to meet this girl. And I said, no. Found out she'd been talking to this girl about meeting me. And we had both said no for a year. Well, at the end of that year, I was ready to meet anybody, okay? I, I was just, I was ready to meet somebody. And so she set up this blind date. And it was to a young lady that she had been her high school counselor. And she'd gone off to college. And she hadn't seen her for a couple of years. And it was Jennifer Fritz. And we were a blind date. It's the only blind date I've ever been on in my entire life. And I'm so thankful that she was blind. And I was the date <laughs> for that. And I went to the door to her house on this blind date. And who opens the door but her father? And I knew her father because he, he had been a principal in the school district. And I had gone to eat lunch with kids as a student pastor. And then I met his mom, her mom and I also knew her because she was also a principal in the district. I knew her mother and father before I'd even met her. And here was the message that Jennifer gave her dad. Look, if he's all torn up, if he doesn't look good, if you don't like his car, if you don't like him, just tell him I'm not here, okay? <laughs> Thankfully, I made it past her father. So I don't know what was up. Something was good that day. I didn't have spinach in my teeth or something. I don't know what happened, but I made it through. And my first blind date, we got married almost a year to the day of that date. So I discovered I was not called to singleness. But for some of you today, that is the calling that God has given you. Or that may just be the season of life that you are in. But the first thing I want you to know is know who you are in Christ. That is the greatest message that I can give to you today because it is vitally important for every Christian person in the room today to know who you are in Christ. Because if you don't know who you are in Christ, you are going to fall for every message that our culture tends to throw at us. And our culture throws all kinds of messages at us. It throws messages at us that says we must be with someone. We must have this vehicle. We must have this drink in our hand to make us cool. We have to look this way and act this way. We have to have certain things going on for us if that's what our culture makes us out to be. But if we're going to live for Christ in this age, whether single or married, we need to know who we are in Christ. Let me just give you an example of some of the message that you might have received. This is a message that I received from my brother. I am totally throwing him under the bus today. He is six years older than me. My brother said, makes statements kind of like this. 
I know how to push Randy's buttons because I installed them. Okay, that's what my older brother says about me. Now, my father was very proud of his three children, my older sister, my older brother, and me. He talked about us a lot in the community. And on one particular occasion, my brother and my father were going to the local feed store in northwest Arkansas. And as they walked in, the feed store owner or whoever was behind the counter said, Oh, you must be Chet's son. He goes, Yes, I'm Chet's son. He goes, Are you the one that's a pastor down in Fort Worth? And my brother, with a straight face, said, No, that's his ugly son. I'm the good-looking one from Albuquerque. And forever now, from that point forward in northwest Arkansas, I'm known as the ugly son, okay? There are all kinds of messages that you're going to be thrown under the bus for by your siblings, sometimes by your spouse, sometimes by others that know you, sometimes by your kids, by your co-workers, but by our culture in general. We are thrown this set of things and set of rules that says this is who we should be. And if you're single specifically today, I want you to know who you are in Christ. What I'm giving you today is straight from God's word. And I want you to understand what God says about you. The first thing comes from 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, We are a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Here's what we say. You are a complete person. Do you realize that? The world may say, you are not complete unless you are together with someone else. Or you are not complete unless you drive this vehicle or have this kind of house. But I'm telling you today that Jesus Christ says of you, you are complete. When we've been talking in this series, what Genesis talks about, it says, when God said, it is not good for man to be alone and I will make a helper suitable for him. Someone who's called alongside. When we say that, generally what we mean by that is this, that God has called us to community. God has not called all of us to have a spouse, but God has called us generally to be in community with people. It is the difference between being alone and being lonely. And there is a key difference, right? Being alone, the Bible says that you and I are never alone, but we know that we can be lonely even in a crowd. But God says to us, we are never alone. Alone. I was talking with Judith Liger this, this last week, and we were talking about this very fact that God, even though she is now a single person and has been so for years, she is never alone. Matthew 28 says this, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples. As Jesus gives his final command to us, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The great news for us today is that you are complete. You are not a second-class citizen. And quite honestly, the church has not done a great job in helping our singles to understand this. We have elevated the role of marriage to the point that we say maybe everyone should be married or we think that everyone should be married. We may meet primarily and be speaking primarily to a married culture, to a culture that has young families. But I want you to know today, if you are single and in Christ today, you're complete. Don't let anyone sell you an awful bag of goods that says you are not complete. That you need someone else. As the romantic Hollywood movie says, I complete you. No, they don't. You and Christ are complete. That's what we just sang. All I have is Christ. You're not going to be married in heaven. 
So if completeness is necessary for you to be married, then you're going to be married in heaven. And that's not true. You and God alone make you complete. That's the truth. Amen? You are complete. The second thing I want you to see is you are created in God's image. You're created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Now, that word for man is the Hebrew word Adam, and it literally means humanity. It is both men, male and female. It is humanity. Let, let us make Adam or creation or, um, excuse me, humanity in our image after our likeness. And this is key. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps over the earth. So God created man, Adam, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Man, male and female, he created them. You are made in the image of God. God does not make mistakes. And if you are single or married today, you are made in the image of God. You carry, you bear on your person the image of a living God. Cows don't carry it. Dogs don't carry it. Roaches don't carry it. Amen? Absolutely. Stomp on those things, all right? They don't carry it. You and I are made in the image of God. And God doesn't make junk. And he doesn't make mistakes. So if you are single today, you can know that God has created you in the state that you currently are. And that he is pleased with you and he loves you and he doesn't make mistakes. Because you're created in the image of God. The third thing I want you to see in this is you are a son and daughter of the king. You are a son and daughter of of the king you are royalty do you realize that in romans 8 paul says this romans 8 14 through 16 for we are all led by the spirit of god as we are sons of god for you did not receive the spirit of slavery you're not slaves quit living like slaves to fall back again to fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father daddy The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may be glorified with Him. Every single thing that Jesus Christ has as the Son of God, you also possess. Do you realize that? You're an heir to the King. Of all creation, who's created everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Guess what? You are now a cattle owner today. You are an heir to an incredible fortune. 1980, there was a movie that came out called Little Lord Fauntleroy. Okay, the first service didn't see it much. Okay, how many of you actually watched the movie with Ricky Schroeder back in 1980? Okay, thank you. There's more than just Carlos uh, and I that, that watched it in the first service. Okay, I know it's a little funny, Little Lord Fauntleroy. Pat, I'm shocked that you didn't watch Little Lord Fauntleroy, okay? Oh, you were asleep, okay. But here was the story. Little Lord Fauntleroy was a young man. It was a story that was written in the late 1800s. It truly was the Harry Potter of the, the 18th, 19th century. And so this young man was born in New York, and he lived as a peasant. He was poor. He lived in a poor family. His father died. 
and he got a letter from his grandfather who was an earl in the kingdom of England. And this young man was called to England with his mother to live now as an earl. He was heir to an incredible fortune, and now he, was re- he realized the fortune that he had always possessed. Does that make sense? There was a sense of which this was, this was created, the same kind of plot line was in the Princess Diaries, okay? Some more of you have seen that, perhaps. But the whole idea is an heir to a fortune who always was an heir, but only at a certain time realized it. What I want you to understand today is that you are an heir to an incredible fortune. Whether single or married in the room today, you have an incredible fortune. You are a son and daughter of the king. You are an ambassador to Jesus Christ himself. As we go to Honduras this Friday, our team goes as an ambassador of EVC, as an ambassador of Saginaw, as an ambassador, most importantly, of Jesus Christ. Because we are a son and daughter of the king. It is vital that you and I know who we are in Christ. This whole idea of spiritual and and identity, self-esteem issues abound in our country, right? We know that we struggle with how we feel about ourselves and do we really understand who we are. Until you understand who you are in Christ, you will be living like the peasant boy until you realize that you are an heir to an incredible kingdom. Know who you are in Christ. You are a son and daughter of the king. So for every single, every married person, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt who you possess if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Second thing I want you to know is this. Once you realize your completeness in Christ, I want you to recognize that your completeness has a purpose. It has a purpose. Paul writes about this whole issue of singleness in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, all the writings of Paul are either to a church who is newly forming, or to an individual like Timothy and Titus, okay, Philemon. These are books written to individuals. But books like Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians, Romans, these are written to the churches in those particular cities. In Rome, Corinth, Galatia, Ephesus, okay? If we was writing this to us today, he would say EVCians or something like that. I mean, I don't know what Paul would say, but he would write to the particular issues that are in our culture. One particular issue that's in our culture, and we're going to be doing a series about all kinds of addictions and different things in the fall. But one thing I noticed, one of the first things is I came into Saginaw. In every port of entry in Saginaw, you realize there is a liquor store, a donut shop, and a dry cleaner's bark. Mark pointed out the dry cleaners to me and, and the donut shops. To, but, but there's a liquor store and a donut. That was not a slam. I meant the dry cleaners. <laughs> Whoa, back up. Hey, Bart, know who you are in Christ, man, all right? That's the key thing. But these are key issues in our culture, okay? I'm red right now, aren't I? I think I am. These are key issues in our culture. And the issue in Corinth was sex. Sex was the key issue that Paul was writing to deal with in this book of Corinthians. Because he saw different issues that were going on. Because there were sexual relationships that were going on in the temple 
to bring about fertility. So men would go and have sex with temple prostitutes in the temple, and therefore it would, they thought it would bring about fertility. And so their culture was literally just messed up. It was addicted to sex. There were homosexual relationships that he talks about in different places in Rome and in, in Corinthians. So these are the things that Paul is writing to correct. And in doing so, he talks about marriage and he talks about singleness. So recognize your completeness has a purpose. What is it? 1 Corinthians 7, 6 through 8 says, Now is a concession, not a command, I say this. That's very important. Paul says, I'm making this as a concession statement, not a command. This is not a command to the body of Christ, but I'm saying, as Jesus said, to those who can receive it, I want you to receive it. He says, but each of you has his own gift from God. And that's very clear what he's talking about. He's talking about marriage and singleness. Each of you have your own gift, one of one kind and one of another. Either you're single or you're married. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good to remain single as I am. Earlier he had said, I wish that all were as I myself am. And now he says to the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for you to remain single as I am. Here's the point. Use the gift that God has given you, whether married or singleness, because each is a gift. It's a gift that God has given you. And here's the point. Discover your life calling and live it out. Discover your life calling and live it out, whether it's in marriage or within the context of singleness, whether singleness for a season of your life or singleness for the rest of your life. Discover your calling and live it out. It's a calling that is unique to every single one of you. And it's a calling that God has given you. And whatever it is, Paul says, wherever you find, whatever state you find yourself, live out your calling. But he says, what I really wish is that all of you could be as I am. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 and 24 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him. Lead the life that God has assigned to you and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. And then verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Whatever God has given you, live out the calling in the place that he's given you. Some of you who are single are going to have opportunities to know God in ways that those of us who are married will never know. I believe that is also true to those who lose a spouse or are widowed. I believe it's also true of those who lose a parent, especially early in life, that God says he will be a father to the fatherless. What I believe that that means is this, that God will uniquely reach out and minister to someone who does not have a physical father or mother in ways that those of us who do do not understand. Now, for most of us, we'd say, well, we don't want that. We don't want to know that part of God. Well, that's very easy for us to say. But for those who have lost a parent, for those who have lost a parent, especially at an early age, God says he will be what they need. Just a couple of weeks ago, as we were talking about this series, I had a single mom who came up to me and said, man, I have a lot of stuff to overcome and to do because I don't have that presence of a Christian father. I said, wait, don't take more on yourself than what God has called you to. Because, because what God promises you is that he will be that father that your son needs. You simply need to be who God has called you to be. 
and allow God to fill in any gaps. And that's what I want you to know today. If you're single or you're married, to recognize your completeness has this purpose and discover that calling and live it out in your lives. Second part of that in understanding your completeness is live with an uncompromising focus. We all know what it's like, or we've seen on TV, what it's like for the coming to an end of a game and how the pace seems to pick up when the game is close and people are trying to win at the last second. It's as if things, the pace just picks up. In hockey specifically, they have a particular thing that they do. They let the goalie go sit on the bench for an extra offensive player rather than having a defensive player if they're a goal behind because they want to tie the game or to win. So there's something that happens at the end of a game that when people are trying to win, they come to this extra gear, if you want to speak of it in that way. And here's what God says to us in 1 Corinthians 7 through Paul. He says, in that same way that you see in the sporting event, that intensity, I want you to have that uncompromising focus because Paul fully believed that Jesus Christ was coming back before he died. Now, Jesus did not return before Paul died. But even if we don't look at it before Paul's death, here's what's true. You and I have a very limited ability to make a difference for Christ because we have only the years of our life to live. And you and I don't know how many years that will be, do we? It could be for me today. It could be next week. It could be years from now. But I don't know when it is. And what Paul calls us to is to live with an uncompromising focus. So whether married or single today, whatever state you find yourself in, live as though this is your last day. Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. The clock is ticking. It's coming quickly to just a few seconds left. From now on, let us, let those who have wives live as though they had none. This is not a time to amen. <laughs> Wouldn't do it if I were you. No. And he's not saying that live as though you don't have a wife, so go out and do whatever you want. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the time is short. Live with an uncompromising focus. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. In other words, the time is incredibly short. Focus. For the present form of this world is passing away. And I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Now's a good time to say, amen, men. There you go. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. That's our main focus, uncompromisingly. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Come on, ladies. All right. The married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Thank you very much. But I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided 
devotion to the Lord. What Paul is saying is right now in your life, whether married or single, you have a short amount of time to make a difference. Make a difference with everything in your fiber and being. If you're married, make a difference with your marriage. If you're single, make a difference with your singleness and make a difference in an undivided loyalty to Jesus Christ. Let me speak just a moment about purity. What he's saying is, this is not for the single to live in any way that they want to live, but to remain sexually pure. Because in the day and age that he is talking about in Corinth, in this town, there was all kinds of sexual immorality. That is, mar- that is sex outside of marriage in any context, whether with someone else or in a homosexual relationship, whatever it may be. He is saying, now, instead of having your loyalties spread out to whatever, the whole idea is this, that you would keep your focus and your purity and your thoughts and your actions focused on Jesus Christ. So what God is calling us to, whether single or married, is purity. That we could remain focused. Because see, the whole thing is this. It's not that you and I won't make mistakes in this life. It's not that we will not um, need to face confession and repentance to God. But it's that we use our undivided focus on who Christ is. We're not perfect. We're broken people. We have tried to to show you that in our own stories and the things that we are and the things that we do. Your pastors are broken. Our people are broken. But we share in our brokenness that we might focus in, whether single or married, on what God has called us to do and the things that he's called us to. He also says that we need to operate in contentment. Contentment is an incredible word that our culture does not understand. That we, not, would, that we would not just want more and more things, more and more people in our lives, but that we would be content with what God has given us. Philippians 4, Paul says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then we don't sometimes realize that this verse comes at the end of that statement. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says the secret of Christ's strength is understanding that you and I would be content in whatever state that we are in. So whether single for a lifetime or single for just a season in your life, what God is calling us to is this idea of contentment. Just in like 1 Timothy, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, not marriage or any other possession, and we cannot take anything out. God wants us to understand contentment that our culture does not understand. He wants us to understand that whatever state we're in in our relationship, if you're married, minister to those who are married. Minister to those who have families. If you're single today, minister to other singles. Minister to those who are married. Do things with time and schedules that you may have that others may not. 
And I know that those of you who are single parents have less time in your schedule. You hear married parents say this stuff all the time. Well, I just can't find time to do that. And you want to say, listen, sister, try to do it when you're single parent, okay? I know that those struggles are out there. And so what I'm asking and calling us to today is to understand contentment. That whatever state God has given you, He has given you a realm of influence that only you will be able to minister into. And He wants to use you in a specific way. The final thing today is that Christ wants us to invest in the eternal. Whether married or single today, He wants us to invest in what's eternal. There are two things that are eternal. God's Word and the souls of humans, men and women, boys and girls. Why is VBS important? Because at an early age, we can minister to children and make a difference. At a time when they've not gotten as involved in the culture, in the focus. Why do we have children's ministries? Why do we have student ministries? Why do we do that? Because we have the opportunity to reach into a culture and to make a difference. We have an opportunity to minister to parents, to help them become disciples of their own children. In this time, we have an opportunity to do that as a church. We need to take full advantage. We need to invest in the eternal. So whether you're married or single today, I want to call you to investing in what's going to last. And here's a special promise that God gives us in Isaiah 56 that he gives specifically to singles. I want you to listen to this. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. You hear what he says? To those who are single, who have been called to singleness for a season or for the rest of your life, to you I give a special name, a name more special than the sons and daughters who are in my kingdom, a wall and a monument better than theirs. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. God has a special promise in His Word for those of you that are single. Does it mean that those who are married are on a lower plane? No. Does it mean that those who are married have a higher plane? No. We are all equal in the sight of God. But, Jesus, but in Isaiah, God says that He gives a special name to those who give up earthly families to promote and invest in eternal life. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy 2.2. You then, to Timothy, my child, be strengthened by the grace of that is in Christ Jesus. And whatever you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Pass on the legacy to the next generation. This last week, I had someone, a good friend of mine, who texted me and said, just wanted to let you know, 10 years ago, you married my son and my daughter-in-law. They now have two beautiful children. They're living for the Lord. I just wanted you to know, thank you for your investment in them. They were students of mine in my student ministry. And God just did something to me in that, on, on that particular day. And I texted her right back and I said, what a blessing it is 
to see God being faithful to multiple generations. That I got to see that in my lifetime. We're not always guaranteed to see that. Adoniram Judson did not get to see that. He did not get to see the fruit of his labors. Hudson Taylor did not get to see all the fruit of his labor in China. Many years of investment in in the kingdom of God. But I've gotten to see that in my lifetime. Who are you investing in? As a single person, do you realize that Christ has called you, that He's given you a name above every other name? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you realize that your completeness now, that you are not an incomplete person, you are not a second-class citizen, and in your completeness, He's given you a special and unique calling for a period of time in your life, for the rest of your life. Invest it in what's eternal. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for this day. And I thank you for those who are so faithful in our congregation, who are single, some for a season of life, and some perhaps for the rest of their life. God, thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you that they give to so many out of, Father, their own busy schedules, their own busy lives, but yet They are faithful. God, we want to be a community of love and of faith to them. We want to honor them. We want to thank you for them. And we want to pray that you would bless them today. Father, as we've spent time talking about marriage and talking about what it is that you want to do through our Christian families, whether single or married, God, I pray that you would bless these families. Lord, I pray that as we go into this summer, we would minister effectively to our neighbors and friends, at the water parks, at the ball games, on the vacations, in all the things, the lake, wherever you put us, that we would be great image bearers of you. And God, I pray for that one or two or whoever today doesn't have this relationship with you. They don't know who they are in Christ because they are not in a relationship with you. I pray that today they would bow their hearts and submit to you and say, Jesus, I want you as my Savior and Lord. Father, would you bless them with your Holy Spirit to convict them at this point, to bring them to a saving knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's